When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Hello and welcome to episode 117 of Hey Buddy, Potteroni. Yeah! Yeah, Potterooney it is. And then this episode, it's an interview with Joe Caulfield, a, I thought, English comedian, but she's actually from Northern Ireland, was born in Northern Ireland. We talk about that during the interview. We'll hear all about that later. Well, we're well into the lockdown now, coming near the end of April. I'm kind of getting into a good routine now where I do a bit of writing and filming and do my podcast I do a bit of exercise nearly every day going on Facebook Live or Instagram to find free Pilates classes or just general exercise classes. I've found other classes as well, not classes, actually talks uh, from, well, what I found interesting was a couple of talks from casting directors just talking about what how to do a good audition, that kind of stuff. There's loads of stuff like that. It's pretty interesting. Then I'm, you know, cooking the dinner from scratch every day. And I just think it's quite... The one good thing about the lockdown is uh, I know that I'm not going to be destitute. And I know that I'm not... There's no point in going out uh, looking for gigs because they can't happen. And lots of other things that can't happen. So... My day is um, spent being far more creative than I would have been while I was working because I feel um, I feel like you know uh, I don't have the stresses of normal uh, working life, and I just think it's it makes me think that the uh, this universal payment that some people have been talking about. Uh, in the last few years where uh, this idea where everybody would get a, a basic amount of money paid into your account from the government. Everybody, rich, poor, old, young, and uh, you would get that into your account. And then you, everybody, well, uh, you can exist on that, but it would not be an amazing existence. It would be a very basic and frugal existence. Um, then if you want to um, improve your lifestyle, I suppose. But uh, in general, people want to work for lots of reasons. Obviously, they want to earn lots more money. Sometimes they just find some field very interesting and that's what they want to follow. Uh, it's a calling or whatever. So, But uh, uh, having a basic payment, for me... I feel that it would just be great for so many people who want to start out in a business or start out in a field 
be it artistic or in business, but you, at least you have that safety net where, you're not, where you can work on whatever your passion is or whatever you feel that you want to get involved in, whether it's childcare or some kind of art or mu- music or acting or a small business or a craft, um, that you cast, you have that safety net that you can start out and and work your way through the early stages of any career. And if you go through a dip, then you still have that safety net. I mean, some people would be quite happy not to have a holiday every year or a... Uh, a big car or a massive house as long as they were doing what they want to do what they enjoy in life and know that they're not going to become destitute and they'll be able to pay the mortgage or the rent or whatever it is and uh, they don't want to be going out for meals and restaurants and they they quite happily make that sacrifice just to be doing what they enjoy in life and I think yeah a universal payment would help a lot of people in that way help them find a a path in life that is far more enjoyable than just working to pay bills or working to um, working to survive and then there's other people who are into money and they will they will want to go a different way but uh, lots of people maybe aren't and uh, would prefer to have more free time and work shorter hours and free time might be more important to them than having all the trappings of wealth. That's my opinion. And then, you know, perhaps we should also be thinking about who should be paid really well. Should it be someone who uh, is involved in uh, the stock market or should it be the people who care for the elderly or care for the sick? Are they not doing a far more important job than someone who is working to make money and that's the only reason <laughs> that they work uh well these these the, you know and 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 I I know that the one thing everyone says then oh yeah oh well then there'll be just loads of people who won't bother working and I go well that's not really true I don't think that's true because people want to do things they just prefer it might be better if they were doing a job that they really wanted to do and they have the they may be able to lots of people can't go to college because they just can't afford to go to college or they haven't got the time because their job wouldn't allow it and stuff like that and uh, I think you'd have a better educated happier people uh, if there was a universal payment and sure there are a minority of people who would who are unmotivated or have addiction problems or have um, mental health problems perhaps and uh, can't or won't go and pursue a a career or whatever like that but uh, most people I think would benefit yeah so that's my that's my tuppence worth and that's what I've been thinking about for the last day or two. But just thinking, no, this isn't so bad. I'm enjoying writing little sketches and shooting them on my own. The only thing that's different, is, of course, is that you can't meet up with people and and uh, 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 
do projects that involve meeting people and then that's not brilliant but the idea of uh, not having to doing something that you enjoy and uh, doing it for the sake of your own uh, curiosity and enjoyment is really good I like it yo bro so if you want to see any of the little sketches and songs I've done they're on my Instagram and Facebook and uh, YouTube channel check them out you're probably you know not saying you like them but I enjoy making them and the podcast of course this podcast and there will be another podcast coming up uh, called Talking Ted where I'm with Pastor MacDonald watching Father Ted episodes and talking about them and interviewing uh, an actor for each episode that's involved in that episode. And also there's a Father Ted quiz that I'm doing and different quizzes I'm doing every Saturday at 8pm. Check that out online. Uh, you would see it on my Facebook page, Joe Rooney Comedian Facebook. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's Joe Caulfield. Are you just back from a cruise? I did. <laughs> it's so good that I didn't know too much about coronavirus <laughs> because I did a cruise in Malaysia and Thailand um, and Singapore where I didn't get off the boat. I have been to Singapore before, so I thought, well, I don't want to get off the boat that much to go and see it. And there was, and because they were being quite strict with people there, I thought, right, I'm not going to get off here. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, none of those, those they did do the temperature testing as you came off. Um, but they're not on the list of if you've been to these countries, you have to tell us. Oh, okay. but the week after the boat went on uh, to Cambodia and they didn't let the boat in. So they had to carry on <laughs> to oh, really? Vietnam. Yeah. So oh. that's that's quite a weird thing with cruising. I've done a few where. They don't sometimes they don't really know where they're going, which seems incredible. Like there was one I did and I woke up and I was like, oh, where are we? And they went, oh, we're in Colombia. And I was like, oh, I didn't know it was going here. And uh, and they said, oh, no, we had to change the route because it's a volatile area. So they had to go, some, you know, find a, a nearer country. Oh, I think really? they're going to go to Caracas, Venezuela, but they couldn't. So then they went to Colombia, which I thought, well, I don't know if that's better. But, <laughs> Colombia yeah. doesn't sound. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Maybe they've got on top of things there now. And so are you... Uh, well, there wh- is one beautiful place you can get to where the where the boats do stop, which is Cartagena, which is a gorgeous old Spanish town. And it's just full of police and people standing around who, who are sort of tourist police. They're just paranoid. You know, please don't kill any of the tourists because we need the <laughs> ships to come in. Oh, so you're safe there. And uh, is yeah. that a, a, a holiday or... Are you working on the cruises? It's working, which I know is um, uh, something to be ashamed of. Um, <laughs> not but, at all. Um, working is not to be ashamed uh, of. Yeah, but cruise ships have such a, a <laughs> reputation. But And I know why it is, because when I probably do a couple a year, especially in the winter, if it's a bit of winter sun. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, but I've, I've said to them, I said, you know, I, I have to do it. I can't do, I not, can't do a kid's show. And when I do it, it's uh, it's just adults, and I just do what I do in a club. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of people 
who do them have this mindset that it's like the olden days and you can't swear. But it's not. It's like these people are, you know, they're not 90. They're retired, 65, 70. You know, they've seen punk rock. You know, they're not shocked. <laughs> so, oh, OK. I it, really do. different. Yeah, have that yeah. impression that you couldn't do. No, I think American cruises you can't you can't see anything against God, and they they have to be quite squeaky clean on those mm-hmm. um, because it's more, not the age group; it's the mindset of the people. But the ones that I have done Royal Caribbean where they were sort of half Americans, mm-hmm. but um, I think they wouldn't go into the club and have a drink if they were those kind of people, so they were fine with it. Mm-hmm. So I quite enjoy it um, because it's a holiday and you get to go some places like Colombia that you've never been or wouldn't go, you know. Absolutely. Um, but it is That's interesting yeah. because the people, I mean, I think the entertainment is terrible. Um, <laughs> it's everything I hate. You know, it's musicals, to, you know, like pop musicals, just mm. playing, singing, you know, pop songs and um, smiling a lot. There's a lot of smiling yeah. involved, which is never good, really, in entertainment. <laughs> and uh, It's a kind and of smiling when say, you, you think uh, behind that there's a lot of issues going on. And that kind of smiling, well, it's just forced fake, smiling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just fake. It's yeah. just you know, it's that old-fashioned jazz hands and smiling, and mm. it's not really. I always think it's not really for the audience. I always think it seems more for the people doing it. They seem to be enjoying it. You know, <laughs> they're all dressed up and singing and dancing. But I don't know how much goes beyond the footlights, sort of thing. Really. Mm. Yeah. I have you. I've worked in a musical actually last year, and uh, the people that I was working with, they're very talented, but there is a certain, they're very different to people you work with in comedy, the people who do musicals. Yeah. They're so switched on when they go on stage and it's really weird. Like this unbelievable energy and excitement, but you don't feel that it's real. Do you know that kind of thing? Yes, it, I, that's exactly, it's it's different and I admire their their precision about everything which you know which mm. comics could learn from i think that you know we could add that but yeah. also at the same time i always do feel that it, it i mean it's not for me because i usually don't like the kind of music mm. and it's far too organized but there's something about it that that feels i don't relate to it because i know it's i mean that which is silly because comics say the same thing every night but it's got no heart in it to me Mm. I'm not going to be surprised. It's not got any, it's not going to be intellectually challenging in any way. And I don't say that like I'm an intellectual, but you just know it's not. <laughs> it's just not going to be, you know, you're not going to have any thought that you go, oh, I've never looked at it that way. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. if I'm watching Grease or something, you know, yeah. which is actually one of the better musicals. But yeah, yeah. but they're very, yeah, they're very, uh, I don't know. I feel it's a different kind of entertainment. And also the fact, I always think it's about working with actors. And I did a play a little while ago. Um, with a really great Irish actress that I got on with really well, but she would laugh so much at the way I interacted with the people who were proper actors because I just found them ludicrous because they're so nice to each other. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and and anecdotes. And I was saying to her, oh, I just get so fucking annoyed with the anecdotes. Can Mm. we stop telling anecdotes and just get on with the rehearsal? My God, yeah. Because they can't stop themselves. And also, if you've been around comics... And I think they tell a funny anecdote. But uh, but this was just like, well, this isn't in your anecdote. This is Simon Cowell, you know, what Callow's anecdote. Right. So they would tell secondhand anecdotes that they've read in a book or something. And that to me, I was going, well, I can go and read the book. 
You're just wasting my time. <laughs> yeah. So it was weird. I find them, it's the, because comics don't have to be nice to each other. We're nice to each other because we want to be. That's true, actually. Yeah. You can be quite You don't insulting. have to get on. You'll still get work if you're funny, you know. Mm. It's nice when we get on, but you don't have to. But, but actors have to. You know, they, they say everybody's lovely. And, that, and that's when it's all that lovely thing. And it's really true because they, they need the work. Yeah, they do appear to. I, I actually did a, a, an improv class years ago and half the uh, a course for about a week. And half mm. the people who did it were comics and half were actors. And God, the difference. And then we did a that's show funny. and, and yeah. the actors were warming up and really like preparing to mm. go on. And the comics were just uh, smoking a cigarette and just. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That is so funny, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what yeah. Jessie would say to me. She'd go, oh, they're warming up, Joe. And I was going, it's ridiculous. I've been walking around and talking all morning. I'm ready. You know, that's all <laughs> I'm going to be doing on stage, isn't it? Walking around and talking. Yeah. Um, and so when you go on the cruise, uh, how long? It's a week long thing or a few a weeks? A week, yeah. And you, yeah. how many performances do you do? I do, you do three. It varies, oh. but this one was, you'd had to do two 45 minutes that that could be the same mm-hmm. so it was two shows in a night same show and then you do a late show that's a different show oh okay right yeah yeah so you just need two 45 that's kind of cool i must look into it <laughs> um and it so happened this one that there was a comic that i know really well from years uh, and his wife uh, kevin mccarthy and his wife were on the cruise as a holiday Oh, really? So that was really nice because that, uh, so I had someone to have dinner with and stuff, you know. Oh, so that nice. was really nice. Right. So, uh, Joe, when you started out, wh- wh- where are you from, actually, Joe? Where... Well, that's a very difficult question. Mm. Um, I grew up, my dad was in the Air Force, so mm. we moved around a lot, but my mum and dad are both from Northern Ireland. Oh, really? And then, oh. yeah. My brother and sister were born in County Down, oh. and then they moved over here, and I was born in Wales, um, oh. just because that was the first posting when my dad joined the Air Force. Right. Um, his mum was from Clomel, Tipperary, um, so sort of sort of connected. Like as kids, we always we went to Ireland in the summer always. Yeah. Until. Um, this is giving away quite how old I am until about 69 when then my dad couldn't go anymore because he was in the forces. Ah, of course. So, yeah. 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 And it was only much later I realised because my parents are Catholic what what an odd thing that was for him to do to join the Air Force. <laughs> because, yeah. Uh, and my mum said, she goes, oh, she said, oh, well, we lost a lot of friends. She said, you know, some people, we just never spoke to them. They never spoke to us again. He was gone at Royal Air Force, you know, and this was because things were brewing and that was part mm. of the reason he wanted to leave, you know. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so I never know where I'm from. I, sp- I suppose London is where I've lived most, but now I live in Edinburgh. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, did you move schools a lot then and have to? Yeah, that was the thing you did. And, and that was why. Um, they, at that time, Ministry of Defence paid, the same with civil service who worked abroad, they paid for your children to go to boarding school. Mm. So uh, I, we all went to boarding schools from, I went to eight. My brother and sister went to 11, but I went to eight because I'd already been to four schools oh. by then. Wow. <laughs> um, which I really didn't mind the moving schools thing. Um, I preferred the moving schools to being sent away to school, I have to say. 
if they'd asked my opinion, I would have said, I'm happy moving schools because I'm at home, you know, wherever home is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the boarding school thing, yeah. And did you find that, uh, like, I mean, obviously you'd make friends and then and then you'd move away. Did, was that difficult? Just make... Well, it's funny. I weirdly had a conversation with someone else who'd grown up in the forces. And I said, oh, it was weird, though, wasn't it? Like, because you'd come back from boarding school and sometimes it would be to a different house and mm. a completely different place. Wow. And I never remember feeling, it was only once when I felt weird about what happened to those friends, you know. Mm. Um and that was when my friend had moved away. She got posted. And I went round to her house and I came back to my mum and went, Claire's gone. And my mum was like, oh, yeah, they've been posted. And I thought, but you never thought to tell us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, like, it was, but it was that generation that children weren't really oh, important. Yeah. They weren't that important. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, you know, you, you were sort of, you, they did what they were told. And you, if you could put them in school, that was good. But it was the fact that. I mean, now my mum feels differently about it, but at the time, it never occurred to her to tell me, oh, your best friend is moving away, Mm. you know. Um, So that was the only time I did feel weird about it. Then someone else, this uh, um, other comic who'd grown up in the army, and he said, oh, yeah, it's funny. He goes, I didn't realise I'm often like that now. He goes, I'm friends with people for about two years, and then I go off them. (laughs) They sort of got into a pattern of, you know, and then you move on and find new friends. Right, yeah, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, but I don't think I've ever been. I've ever been like that. But um, yeah, it was it was slightly odd, as uh, opposed to come back and be a different place. Right. Yeah. And then when you were in, um, say, boarding school or whatever, was there? Did you get into any kind of drama type stuff or like you know, acting that kind of thing? Was that part of going to school? Um. Um. I wanted to, I sort of did, but it's funny, isn't it? I was always seen differently to how I thought myself, how I saw myself. I remember we did uh, Toad of Toad Hall. Oh, wow, cool. And I, you know, obviously I wanted to be Toad. <laughs> and um, But then it was funny, when they did the casting, I was the badger. And, <laughs> and the badger is like a slow movie and he doesn't say a lot. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, isn't that weird? And then this girl who I'm still friends with, weirdly, who was kind of small and peppy and everything. And she got to be toe to toe tall. And I remember being really like, oh, right. So people don't see me the way I see myself. (laughs) And then even again later, they were doing Midsummer Night's Dream. And again, I thought I'd be a great puck. And they said I could be Titania because I was regal. And I was like, oh, I don't see myself like that at all. Right. And I don't know whether it was being tall or what, but it was. So I, oh, I sort of, I think I was never, I was, I, I was probably too shy to actually get the roles I wanted or thought I was. I was right. only that way in my head. But obviously to other people, I wasn't like that at all. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I've spoken to a few comics who um, started out uh, training as actors and found that they were always being cast in, as comic roles and and found that quite insulting <laughs> until they accepted it, that, oh, maybe I'm just good at comedy, you know. <laughs> and But it, it's, it's funny. That, well, yeah, that, so that's... I was completely the opposite in that they gave me sort of sensible roles. Because right, yeah. I think I, I think I was always one of those kids. Like amongst my friends, I'd be funny one. Um, but then when grown-ups were around, then you you had to act differently. So I was quite good at pretending to be a different person. Oh, you know, right, so yeah. I would be sort of quite shy and uh, well-behaved. 
right in front of them yeah ah right so and uh did you uh sorry when you left school then did you go to third level or like what did you do well <laughs> i'd had quite a regimented life sort of the air force and everything and then my dad came out of the air force when mm. i was uh, end of fourth year school so the year before you take your exams your o levels as, as they were there then with us mm. um so you're 14 going mm. into the fifth year you know that year and so my dad basically he couldn't afford the fees he was unemployed then couldn't afford the fees so i left and i always remember i'd been in that school since i was eight and he went to the nuns to say, could Joe stay another year to do her O-levels, oh, you know, yeah. but we can't afford the fees. And they said, no. Oh, my God. So I know, fucking charity. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I never, I thought, God almighty, that must have been so awful for my dad, because he would assume they would say yes. Yeah. You know, but they said no. So I, I, so then I went to local comprehensive, which I think was the saving of me, really, because I think I'd have been very peculiar otherwise. Um, so then it was a whole new world and it was a good time, like musically, I made friends with, I was lucky, I was put with this girl who was very cool mm. and she had her, all her friends, they were like, oh, do you, you know, it was like um, Human League and Bauhaus and all that kind of wow. music, sort of new wavy and stuff. And they were sort of dressing weird. And I was like, oh, I like all this. What is this? Very exciting. Mm. So I got kind of distracted, I think, from school a bit. Yeah. Um, Did you start uh, changing how you looked? And... I changed how I looked mm. and I was just very interested in the sort of going out and having friends mm. and drinking. And then I did my A-levels and I went on a magic bus holiday, as they were then. This would have been 1981, 82, mm. um, because they didn't have cheap flights then. So we went on, me and two friends went on a bus to Greece what? Set off, <laughs> set off oh, from God. Russell Square. I remember that. Yeah. And it was called the Magic Bus Company, and because oh. it was the only way. So some of them were like, you know, Greek Cypriots who'd lived in London, going back to see their families, yeah. and other people like young people backpacking, which we were. Oh, and then it took two and a half days. Wow! Actually, you know what? It was. I thought it would take longer, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, two and a half days. They go nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but also the thing was then it's before the euro, it's before you know yeah. the Schengen area. So there was passports it controls every country, and there was currency. So I always remember us being in Yugoslavia and going, just giving up and going, oh, what the fuck is the currency uh, here? <laughs> you know, we, yeah, yeah. we we haven't got anything. We're just not going to be able to buy any food. We just hope that we get through this country quickly. Oh, so yeah. Uh, oh, but yeah, anyway, so then after. Sorry. Mm? You have to go through Yugoslavia. I didn't think that. Yeah. So that's a communist country at yeah. the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and so we'd come back from the holiday and my sister was living in London. And so I went to hers and phoned up from a payphone to get my results, which mm -hmm. weren't good. <laughs> um, but because I was a, a September birthday, I was a year younger. So it would have been no bother to go back and retake them. And my dad said, we can come back and retake them. And I just thought, no, I'm not going back. And I don't know. I had quite liked school, but that was it for me. I was just, I was done. Mm. And I just didn't go back. And I got a job as a breakfast waitress because you got accommodation um, uh, with, in a hotel. It was funny. It was an Irish hotel. It's called, it's still there, but it's different now. It's called the, it was at High Street Kent Station, the Tara mm. Hotel. 
And so there'd be lots of people come over from Ireland to get jobs there. And we got accommodation in Notting Hill. So I thought, I'm set for life. I've got a job and I've got accommodation. Yeah. And uh, and I sort of carried, and then I was got very into rockabilly. That was a big thing for about five years. Really? That was my life. Uh, I was in a band. I went out with this guy who was rockabilly. Then all my friends were rockabillies. And we just went to bands. And then I started selling vintage clothing mm. um, and also opened a shop, got it did a thing then they had the enterprise allowance scheme where What's in order to open the shop the government um it was a scheme i think you, you had to put up a thousand pounds because i borrowed a thousand pounds and invest it in the business and then basically you got your rent paid and dole money but a bit more than dole money oh i see and then it slowly year. oh just for a year okay there was another scheme where it slowly diminished until you you were on your own <laughs> that's what i did actually. no this was no you this was only a year but it, it yeah. was a good system really because you could do anything and they never sort of checked what you were doing so me and my friend set up a, we, we ran a shop selling vintage clothing and we also made copies of the clothes we found people to make clothes yeah. so we would do copies and stuff and we'd sell them at weekenders music weekenders which was brilliant fun it was wow. great i liked the weekenders part of it it was the shop bit. I suddenly was like, oh, I'm working in a shop. This yeah. is quite dull. Yeah. Um, and then it was, yeah. And then I realized, I thought, I, I st- my sister uh, wrote plays. So I acted in a couple of her plays, yeah. like Fringe Theatre. Mm. So I think I thought that started to make me think, I want to do something like that. But I don't really know how or what. And... Then I sort of changed completely. I'm very like that, I think. And then I go, right, I finished, split up with my boyfriend, moved out, stopped really being involved in rockabilly, Mm. started weightlessing. (laughs) um, Because I remember I was 25, because I remember a guy in the restaurant saying, asking me how old I was, and people were really surprised because I didn't realize everyone else was 20, Mm. you know. And so I made really good friends, and I really enjoyed it. But then everyone else started to go off to university and stuff. And that's when I thought, oh, God, I don't have any sort of plan. Mm. I thought this is what we did. Again, I was like, I've got enough money to go out. I'm having a really nice time. This is enough, isn't it? And then. That's funny. uh, That's when I went. Sean Locke says a similar story where he was just happy working for a bit. And then he'd travel around Europe and then he'd come back and get a job. And he was happy with that. (laughs) Yeah, he actually said they were the happiest days of his life, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think well, London London was very cheap to live yeah. like when I first lived in London I lived in a what were called legal squats then yeah. um, in Kilburn Park and it was great everybody yeah. I thought they were kind of weird because they were alternative but in a different way to me yeah. I was more kind of post-punk and they were like one of them worked in Neil's yard so they were all wholemeal bread and brown sugar which I thought was kind of weird and they were all about causes yeah. and two of them were uh, mixed race South Africans so their, their mother was white mm. but had uh, had a relationship with their father in South Africa who was black which at that time must have been incredible so they were born like in the 60s mm. so mm. so we did a lot of marching mm. um, I did a lot of you know female Nelson Mandela and a lot of marching about stuff but I was more I didn't really <laughs> I was more always like oh I like marches it's fun mm. you know normally involves drinking and there'll be some <laughs> bands yeah. That's mainly my interest in it. You yeah. 
and people like I remember going, oh, this I I one was um. Uh, what was it, CND? And I loved them because um, the Killing Joke were nearly always playing. And that's what I associate with CND going, oh, I really like Killing Joke. They'll be on. And whatever this cause is, was oh quite good God, too. Oh, my God. I love the Killing Joke. Yeah. The War Dance. Remember that song? The War Dance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. They're brilliant. They were brilliant. Yeah. And. Uh... Yeah, so somewhere it's just sort of a bit retarded. I just, I didn't, I don't know why I didn't, why I felt in a weird way now, I think, God, I was very unprepared for life. I had no plan. And my parents seemed very easygoing <laughs> in terms of my mum said, oh, we were always worried, Joe. She goes, oh, we were always worried. We didn't know what you were going to do. <laughs> but, it, you know, they felt like it wasn't their job anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably yeah, so... great, though. I mean, I think in a way we're too hands on now and just, you know, let people find their way. Let Early yeah, I mean, but it must road. be very scary to let your children find their way. But in one way, great, because eventually, eventually, I think, yeah, I did find the thing. Yeah. And I and I did recognize it as the thing the first time I did stand up. I did sort of secretly to myself. Oh, I think I found a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you kind of come across the whole stand up scene? Were you going to see uh, Never. I'd no. been to see. I'd been. <laughs> I'd watched. I'd watched stand up like I uh, with friends. Now this was early twenties. I remember because my boyfriend was the rockabilly guy. He was very into comedy, and we would watch videos. And there was a video, and I remember the people on the video because one of them was Jerry Seinfeld, oh. and it was observational comedy. It was. It was Jasper Carrot did a show where he went to America and filmed stand ups. And I can remember to this day, Jerry Seinfeld, the routine he did about where women put perfume on in these weird places, you know, behind the knee. Why would you do that? You know, <laughs> and um, Ellen DeGeneres, she did a routine about when you um, don't like if you're eating something you don't like, you always say to somebody, taste this. And I thought, God, that's really funny. <laughs> Paula Poundstone. She did the stuff and I identified with that because she was talking about waitressing and I always remember her saying, and I, it's so weird, that must have meant something to me because I remember the words. Um, and she said, oh, I, she worked in the International House of Pancakes and she went, uh, living the dream, which was the first <laughs> time I'd ever heard anyone say that, you know, now everyone says it. Yeah. And I thought, that's hilarious because I'm also living the dream as a waitress. Yeah. And uh, she said, if people were mean to me, I would touch their eggs. And I thought that was so funny. And I liked her that manner, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's very funny. Mm. And the way that she was just sort of grumpy and not show busy. Yeah. Because otherwise, I think the only people, comics I'd ever liked before that would have been Les Dawson and Dave Allen. Uh, because yeah. they didn't seem show busy. I didn't like all the sort of shininess uh, of jokes. I liked them just talking yeah. was what the bit I liked. But I went, anyway, it was a friend who was doing an open spot at the comedy store. A friend that I didn't really know that well. And I went along. Because he foolishly asked people to come, you know, which you now know, never do that when doing open spots. And I remember the bill and the bill was Mark Lamar comparing, who I weirdly knew from rockabilly scene. Oh. I didn't know he was a comedian. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Mark Lamar comparing and I really liked him. Mm. Uh, Sean Mio was on. Oh, right. um, and I thought what he did to, uh, seemed unattainable because that was jokes and it was very clever. So I thought, well, I couldn't do that. And then Jack D came on and I was like, oh, he's, I couldn't see the craft. All I could see was a bloke moaning and complaining. Yeah. 
and being sort of sarcastic. And I thought, oh, I could do that. Yeah. I think I really identified with that. Um, and the guy I went to see died on his ass, but I didn't really notice that. I didn't notice that people shouted at him. I just, and I said, how did you get in here? And he said, oh, you just phone up. And that was it. also it, the simplicity of it. Oh, I didn't have to pass exams. You know, didn't have to study, didn't have to pay or anything. Yeah. So Didn't have to learn an I instrument or something. Like yeah. That. Oh, my God. Yeah, because I'd been playing drums in a band and I was shit at that. And you had to practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, always a disappointment because I was, I couldn't practice. I just, I just didn't have it in me to mm. practice stuff. Mm. So it was the Comedy Cafe in that Noel Faulkner yeah, ran. Yeah, Noel Faulkner. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, in London. It's, it was still going till a while ago. And that was where you just turned up on the Wednesday and they put you on a list and then you went on. Mm. And so I had worked out what I was doing. Mm. And I think that was strange because there must be something about it where I thought, well, I've sort of listened to comedy. I think I know what to do in terms of you prepare something. I knew that. I knew you had to prepare things. Mm. So what I did, and I thought that's not a bad way to approach it. I told some things that I'd said to friends. And they had laughed. So mm. if I had a funny story, like I had a story about seeing my dad's balls on the beach when I was a kid. <laughs> and I thought, well, my friends thought that was funny. I'll say that. Uh, you know. So and that became a piece of material for ages. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I think that's actually not a bad way to start if you don't know anything about stand up comedy or what it is. You know, it's yeah. not a bad way to do it. It is. Yeah. It's, so you were obviously attracted to that kind of craft of stand-up well, you, you people like Seinfeld or whatever whereas a lot I think at the beginning of that time there was a lot of kind of really odd and loud and weird acts as well weren't there around that time yeah yeah there was there was mm. you know sort of people a lot, lot of I mean I hadn't watched a lot of British stand-up when I started mm. um, I'd seen you know I'd seen Ben Elton on telly I'd seen the young ones and I recognized that that was stuff I was supposed to like, that it was new and different. Mm. Uh, but I didn't really find it that funny. Mm -hmm. uh, I did find Derek and Clive funny. Like that was the thing where you sat and listened to the record and laughed for hours and played bits over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, and I liked, I really liked um, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. I'd yeah. seen that sort of stuff. And I liked that, you know, the, the you know, the one legged, uh, what was he going to be? Tarzan, Tarzan and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And I really liked that. And I really liked Steve Martin mm -hmm. um, because I, which is weird because I'm nothing like him. And uh, but again, that seemed doable, like a man putting an arrow through his head. You know, where's the skill in that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, and God, that I'm way so I thought, that. oh, this is great. This it seemed like you could do it. That's what I liked yeah. about it. And it was the same thing as like joining a band where you weren't that good. You know, it was there. I think there was still a lot of punk rock in the 80s of, of attitude of like, oh, you could do it. You know, you don't have to be good at it. Yeah. You know, Just or skilled. More energy. You could have a go. Less skill. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It's a lot of that. And then it took uh, me a long while yeah. to realize that I really had to learn what I was doing in order to do it. Mm. You know, mm. so I was, I was shit for quite a long while. Um, um, but I, but I, but there was something in it. It was just that thrill of people laughing. And I think oh, I'd always been like that, even when I was a waitress, like I could get good tips. If I connected with a table and could be myself and be funny, I could do well. 
But at other times I couldn't connect with the table. And I remember friends saying to me, well, why, why don't you do just what you did with that table all the time? And I said, I can't. Some people, I just don't like them. Yeah. So I retreat. <laughs> and it's a bit like that in stand-up. Sometimes you really have it. And it took me a while to be able to have it all the time. You know, then other gigs you go, oh, I don't know where that funny person's gone, but yes. they're not here tonight. Yes. No. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes an audience don't feel like an audience, that, that they're not even connecting with each other. Do you know what I mean? Like an audience. Oh, yeah. It's They're brilliant when they are all together, you know, enjoying yeah. the same thing. Yeah. And in an audience is, you know, it sounds wanky, but they are. It is a totally organic thing. And, you know, you can be, you know, in the same room but the, and saying the same words, but the different mix of people on a different night. Mm. And even those people on another night would be a better audience. Yeah. And sometimes it's not that they're bad. Sometimes it's like that's all they've got in them. You yeah. Know? And you have to kind of go, well, that's that's fine for tonight. It's not Saturday. You know, it's a Tuesday. <laughs> this is how we're feeling. Yeah. You know? And around that time, so there were lots of tiny clubs around in London anyway. And what about around, uh, further north then did you venture? Yes, because I realised that if I uh, learnt to drive, I would get more work. Okay. So I learnt to drive. And because I was still like waitressing and stuff, so I had money to, I could, so I bought a car. Mm. Um, and then, and I would go, I would go anywhere. I remember because I would and I would drive other people. So I remember going to uh, went to Chester. There was a club there, Alexander's, mm. and I drove there and I drove the other acts. And this is where sometimes things just work out. And the, one of the other acts was Graham Norton. My God! So I didn't know him at all. He was just sort of starting in stand up and mm. wasn't really doing stand up. He did something quite peculiar. What, um, what was it? And he. <laughs> Well, he'd done, he'd done, because he'd gone to a central school of drama. So oh, as far yeah. as he was concerned, he was going to be an actor. Yes. Yeah. And so he'd done two solo shows in Edinburgh. One was Mother Teresa, something about Mother Teresa, and he wore a tea towel on his head <laughs> <laughs> to be Mother Teresa, which, you know, it sounds hilarious. I never saw it. He just described it to me. And he said, oh, and I would serve tea to the audience. <laughs> I pretend I was Mother Teresa having a tea party. Sounds like amazing. insane. Mm. It sounds so good. Yeah. And so we kind of bonded on the journey. And then mm. he did, I remember he did stuff. I mean, they'd not seen many people who were camp, you know, at mm. that time. And also he did stuff about topiary, about pubic topiary. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And and then he did then he broke out and talked to the audience and just made fun of the audience and that was absolutely brilliant and i was like oh wow when he does it just with the audience that's mm. amazing but then we drove all the way back again that night and he i lived in finchley so i'm at the bottom of the m1 but I, and he lived in hackney and i was like oh christ i'm going to have to drive him all the way to hackney so i did cuz i thought well, i don't want to drop him i'm here to the middle of nowhere mm. so i sort of drove him there 3 in the morning and so then we sort of became friends. And then quite quickly, he got a TV show. Right. And okay. so I did the warm up for him because he didn't want a male warm up. And one of the producers said, oh, there is a woman who's done a warm up, Joe Caulfield. So then he was like, oh, but I know Joe. That would be perfect. Mm. And then um, they also, he also had trouble finding people to write for him because they wrote in a very, like he was John Inman kind of a way. Yes, okay. Uh, and he kept going, no, I, I really am gay. <laughs> and, you know, I fuck men and everything. <laughs> um, so he said, I want it to be, you know, just more bitchy, more about celebrities and that sort of thing. And because I'd already done a series on the show, 
it was the producer who said well why don't we try joe because she knows the show and so then i wrote on the show for like eight years then wow which bought me a lot of time in terms of so i think i didn't have to because at that time the way to make money was do jonglers yes and because comics could make a lot of money over the weekends at Jonglers. You know, there'd be five shows, well played, plus hotel. Yes, but they um, were But I digs. found them a bit, you know, it was, it, they were tough Very clubs. Tough. And you well, know, but... Some people did develop Jonglers acts. Some people didn't. Some people just still did great comedy. But some people, I thought, developed acts like that. But well, it was very was difficult because money, I, I, I did it. I maybe would do one weekend a month because I was still living in Ireland. I'd go over to Jonglers one. Yeah. Um, but I found once I had a, a 20 minutes that worked in Jonglers, it was very hard to change it because they weren't yes. the kind of gigs where you try and do a little bit because they kill you. They destroy you, the audiences, you know, some of them. Yeah. Not all of them were that. I think it was good if you like say like what you did, if you do it once a month, if you mixed it, mm. that was good. Mm-hmm. You know, mix it with other clubs. But yeah. some people just did it, and I did it a little bit, but I was, you know, I was always terrified, and, um, you know, it was touch and go a mm. bit how my gigs would go with them. Mm. But I think because of uh, having a little bit more security because I had that good writing job, yeah. um, I then went, right, I'll go and, I'm going to do Edinburgh, which then led to getting a radio commission. Amazing. So it sort of meant, I thought, I think it helped, meant that I could develop Yes. More. I could trial and error a little bit more in my comedy. Oh, well, you know? yeah, definitely. Definitely great that you didn't have to get sucked into that. Uh, well, you're making money, I suppose, in genres, but artistically it could destroy you, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I think some people it made them terrified to try anything else. Yeah. Or lazy, you know, then the, some people just got comfortable. And then when genres went away... Uh, in a way, I was like, well, your act isn't good enough for the nice clubs. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so what was that first show you did in Edinburgh? Um, funny enough, it was called, because weirdly, I was thinking I haven't changed in my attitude to Edinburgh shows at all. <laughs> I called it, it's not that important, right. um, which people thought meant um was a more profound meaning than I meant it. And I genuinely meant it's not that important. It's just some jokes and routines. Mm. Uh, I, you know, I, mm. I'm not, I have n- nothing to, important to tell you um, apart from that we're going to be entertained. Mm. And hopefully um, my attitude to things is a good attitude. And, that, you know, that is uh, open to everything in the world kind of stuff mm-hmm. so i you know i never give an opinion say opinions that i don't believe in or you know and if you think like a, but i would never be preachy you know because that's mm-hmm. not that's not my thing yeah um I, and would... funny enough this year when i was thinking what i call it i was thinking well i still feel the same it's not that important <laughs> it's just it's just going to be whatever you know whatever jokes yeah. and routines i've got um that all right between now and then it's not to say i don't value the craft of it I, I do but i i kind of feel like you should never really let people know how seriously you take it i i totally agree with you i don't think it's a comics place to be preachy or to be self-important i mean you're, yes you're the kind That's of the word yes mm. you're the the fool in a sense although you might I, I, yeah, that's my, yeah, and I think you can sneak in your little messages, but as long as people don't notice you're doing it, 
if they notice you're doing yeah. it, then I think you're not really doing it correctly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a. Uh, but the, I thought it became very preachy, and it's is still very preachy, and mm. you know, and people or the people tack on, you know, because there's a whole thing now that if you tack on a bit of meaning, then you're going to be up for an award. Um, I know. I've seen the. I've seen shows that I really loved, loved, and then there's a ten minute serious bit, and I go, oh come on. Do you know yeah. What I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's why I, I really loved uh, Phil Ellis's show from last Edinburgh. Um, which was all about, he kind of put in all the things that people are saying, you know, about mental health and all of that. And it was just hilarious. It was uh, really good. Oh, really? And I it didn't was also, see that. Yeah, it was very, and it was very, it's very layered as well. It is a clever show in terms of effects and how it's structured, but it seems chaotic, but it's absolutely not. So it was really clever, but he hid all the cleverness. Mm. And and then you know said about bisexual you know because everyone's fucking bisexual now as well and so he was all you know he's like oh come on who hasn't had a bit of a go at it you know we all <laughs> loved you know everybody touching our bits you know and just made <laughs> nothing of it it's like it's not a big thing yeah and yeah, then also yeah. you know but where it was like it was more like you could watch someone go oh in any minute now they're going to say they're bisexual and then they're going to tell us that they were depressed and yeah. Oh God, yeah. I'm and we've all, and, and, you know, yeah, we've all had, we've, we've all been a bit up and down. Yes. I think that's the thing that it's not actually what people have who've had real depression is a very different thing, you know. So I think it's sort of trivialising it. Is everybody, everyone wanting? It's wanting. <laughs> do you know what it is? It's wanting all the love. It's wanting the love because they're laughing at you, mm. but wanting them all the love to go. Oh, yes, but please feel sorry for me as well, and also please think I'm really clever and intelligent. It's like sometimes you have to go, no, let them just laugh. Yeah. You know, it's up, let, and then let them decide whether they think it's clever that you made them laugh. That's up to them, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't tell them how clever you are. <laughs> Don't yeah. make it so obvious that you're clever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so what was the uh, radio show then that you that you were commissioned for after that show? Well, that was one of the, again, that, a great luck, a chance thing. Um there was a woman sitting at the front of my show in Edinburgh and I had taken the piss out of her because she seemed very confident sitting at the front on her own, mm -hmm. you know. So I'd made fun of her and things. And then I asked what she did for a living and she said she was the commissioner of comedy at Radio 4. <laughs> yeah. So that got a massive laugh. But it was Caroline <laughs> Raphael. And so she, you know, she said, well, let's have a chat. And then... Uh, I was still working for Graham's company, so television, and they had put in, this was a new thing then, that independent companies had to register with the BBC. So they had registered So Radio, but they hadn't made any programmes. Hmm. So then producer who was working there said, well, why don't we put in a show with Joe? So, and they said to me, what would you want to do? So we came up with a show, and it was just basically my stand-up, and then going into sketches. So I had sketches that were me and my husband at home, sketches that were, at that time, I did quite a lot about my mum and dad being retired and the sort of nonsense that mm -hmm. people get up to when they're retired. So it was that sort of a show. Um, mm -hmm. Very sort of classic format that I think hasn't changed, really, mm -hmm. because it's hard to do it better than that. Because I'd already, I loved like radio from sort of 60s, you know, the Hancock and round the horn and all of those to try to, you know, and there's sort of, an, and uh, there was a guy raise a laugh and that was all, again, it was just basically stand up and sketches. 
mm-hmm. and messing around with the sketches a bit. Um, so did a couple of series of that. But the thing that was hard was that it's all words and you have to write it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, half an hour and you're like, oh, my God, that is a lot of writing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I got a bit spent. Uh, yeah. after a while but had a couple of series of that yeah and how do you uh, so w- would you write literally write sketches or do you talk them out to yourself or with somebody else um, record them um, had a couple of people that we knew and we would say kind of what we wanted and then they would write them and then sometimes they had they had just ideas and we would completely just take you know do their idea mm-hmm. you know so um, so it was fun and uh and then that sort of from then, you know, people ask you, this was a big lesson to me, was um, being going down the sitcom route. Yeah. And it was a guy who'd heard the radio show. He was at BBC and he wanted to meet me and he said, oh, I really like the radio show. I like her attitude. Write me a sitcom for that character. So I did that and took it took ages and then it was we'll change this change that okay mm-hmm. and then more meetings and change this change that okay and then you're getting you're getting paid because you're getting paid for a treatment but it was like I was putting everything into it and then it was like okay now we're going to look to actually doing a rehearsed reading with a cast and there were several things I wanted to do that they said oh you can't do that I wanted to talk to camera because mm-hmm. I said I used to love Frankie Howard um, up Pompeii and he mm. would talk to camera mm. and they said you can't do that um, that nobody would watch that's just really old-fashioned I was like oh okay mm. and then uh, then Miranda did it about two years later yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway this guy he gets moved that's that ancient old story he gets moved I was doing it with positive um and so he got moved within the BBC and he said, I can't do co-productions anymore. I have to do in-house only. So I'll be passing your project on. And as soon as he said that, I thought, right, we're dead in the water no. because the next producer, nobody wants to take on someone else's project. No, they, they all want their own project. Yeah. And also I said, well, who is it? And he told me the name and I just said, he'll hate me. He's what I call university boys humor. He Mm. likes all the university boys. He's not going to like me and girls. There's a certain type of humor. It's quite BBC. And I'll go, I'm not that. Mm. And we're dead. And then it was sort of chased a little bit. Waste of time, waste of time. And then I've got, um, they basically said, and I can't, I can't believe that they actually said this because they should think of a better reason because um, it's their job to learn how to say no to people. They said uh, because and then Miranda came and was a big success. And they said, because of the success of Miranda, we don't need any more female led oh projects. God, that, isn't that unbelievable? Mm. Yeah. So that was like 12 years ago. So they weren't very, you know, not like now where they just can't wait to get women on television. Mm. It's very different. But also what I learned and I was I was I was really hurt. I was hurt because I felt actually wounded in that. I thought I've really given a lot of myself to this mm. and you've just wasted my time. I'm not I don't want another fucking meeting. I don't want any more meetings with anybody because who's going to encourage me and then do nothing. Mm. So I just thought I'm just going to go back to stand up and really concentrate on stand up. Yeah. And then I just really really then started to enjoy stand-up again and weirdly at that same time I started to get more corporate work 
And mm-hmm. that then became the thing that bought me time. That buys me time to do the, what I like, which is just being in a club. Really. And it means that is can, the thing I most love. You yeah. can pick and choose where you perform then because you're financially yes. stable with the corporate. Yeah. And, yeah. And do you, uh, do you use social media at all? Do you ever do kind of uh, sketches? I or do anything Twitter. Or characters <laughs> or I do Twitter and I've done well on Twitter. I like Twitter because it's mm. meaner. Mm. Um, I think it's more adult. And I know people don't like the trolls and things, but I honestly, I just think, but they don't, they're not, they don't know you. You know, Mm. I've had people say horrendous things to me, but at the same time, I go, but I can picture this person and they're not happy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And and when you see that they do it to lots of people, you can look at their timeline and see, or they're just, you know, anytime I've, um, anytime, like suddenly I'll get abuse and I go, oh, something must be being repeated on television because suddenly I've ruined mock the week for people. You know, <laughs> I'm just the devil. Like people going, well, that's it. That my favourite show's ruined. You're so unfunny. Blah blah. Um, unbelievable. But I don't. I was talking to yeah. a comic yesterday. Well, he, he's an impressionist, and uh, he hmm. does a lot of stuff on social media. And he he's he started out on Facebook. It, something he did on Facebook went viral. Or but he he reckons that Facebook now has become really toxic. He's moved on. He's moved away from Facebook. He reckons Facebook is just full of really i've never done facebook for Mm. in a business way like i don't have a fan page i remember sarah millican saying to me she goes joe you have to have a fan page and you've got to put a lot of pictures people like to see your face and i was like no i just use it on train journeys when i'm bored to talk to comedians usually right is what i like facebook for and occasionally you know and people that you don't see very often and are old school friends in that way i like that sort of community of it okay but i have found that some things like that i'll put up on facebook and nobody will like them hardly apart from really good friends because they're too harsh for facebook all right whereas i put it on twitter yeah and then everyone on twitter likes it but on facebook it's like well that's just mean joe you know why would you (laughs) say that about holly willoughby she's a really nice person (laughs) you know just take it very seriously on facebook yeah i know it's just like they're horrified sometimes right so twitter yeah, so Twitter was good for me, and then I um, I got banned. I got shut down. Wow. For what? Yeah. A, a reason of things, one of which was not handling it well. Um, <laughs> um, I put up – I was on holiday in Hamburg with some friends, and my friend, he'd got a new iPhone mm. with portrait mode, and mm. we were sitting outside having wine, and he took a picture of me holding my glass of wine. And I said, oh, that's such a good picture. Because of portrait mode, I said, it looks like an advert. And also the wine glass, I suddenly realized, was huge. Mm. <laughs> and I said, it really looks like I'm advertising wine. So I did, I like write, doing a picture and then putting writing on it. Mm. Um, so I put that up and I put it on Instagram and I put it on Twitter. Um, Try wine, it's fucking great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, lots of people liked it. And a woman didn't like it because she said I was encouraging young people to drink alcohol. Oh, my God. And her daughter yeah. was 14 and was a fan of mine. And that oh. was, you know, irresponsible. That, I think, would have been okay if I hadn't then uh, told her to go fuck herself. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I think I handled it badly. And then I, I could, but I thought it can't just be this. And then some guy, you know, people are very, also very helpful on Twitter when you ask a question yeah. and a guy who worked in social media and he said, well, actually at the moment, I know 
they're having a trawl through and people who are using it um, uh, for social media to to forward themselves and link themselves with products and they're looking at it as you linked yourself with alcohol. I was going, well, this is insane. Right. And he said, no, but quite a few people are being shut down. There's just a shutdown happening. Right, yeah. And then I tried to rejoin, to start it up again. I wasn't, I wasn't able. And then I had to, you know, I had to find a way to go on, but I had to change my thing. I had to put in another underscore, but I'd lost. I think I'd, you know, I'd built up oh. a lot and I lost. Everybody. Oh, so you actually you know, then have to build it up again. Don't get back. Yeah. You don't get back. No, back. you lose them. Holy. You get them back if Holy. you know. I, you know, by trying to tell them, here I am, here I am again, and then. Yeah. But you, in a way, you you keep your quality people. <laughs> you know, the people that actually interact with you. Yeah. But the people who who followed me because they saw me in a picture with Graham Norton. Yeah. Uh, you do, you lose those people because they just they just fans of famous people. Yeah, but you keep the people that actually interact with you. Mm. So I think, well, I've kept my quality, but um, I've lost. Yeah, you know, like I lost about twenty thousand people. Genie Mac. I mean, yeah. I think uh, uh, it possibly wasn't even a person that. I think they have a, a bot that goes is looking for. Well, well, that was the thing because my agent said she said we could get onto them and fight them. But it's very mm. difficult because it is a bot. You're right. It is a mm. thing going through. We're adding these ingredients, which means you now are banned. Yeah. Um, so she said, we can actually, you know, eventually we'll get through to a person and we can do it. And I just thought, oh, do you know what? Maybe it's meant to happen. <laughs> mm. And um, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to fight for it in that way. And I'll just start again and see what happens and keep my quality people. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, because I, I, the only time I've had difficulties, it was a, a sketch I did, and it involved something to do with Brexit or something, but I used it to advertise a gig I was doing in Belfast. So, I mean, it was being mm. boosted from Ireland into the UK, I guess. Yeah. And they wouldn't allow me that because they saw some kind of political message in it. Oh, I guess they thought I was like one of the Russians trying to influence... <laughs> the, oh, could it be? Yes, yes, well, yeah. In that case, I am convinced that the Russians were behind Brexit. I'm convinced of that. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but in that case, it's impossible to get it rescinded because you're you just keep getting the same message back, and it's obviously an automated message that you're getting back. Yeah. You're not talking to a person. It's quite mm. difficult. So, um, yeah. So but now, I don't use it in like for a clip, you know, I'm not very good at using it to put up clips or things like that. Okay. Um, the way I know you're supposed to do it. Yeah. You know, it's more, I'll, I'll, you know, think of a funny thing to say or an opinion or sometimes, or sort of doctor pictures. I quite like writing on pictures and stuff. Mm. Um, do it that way. But uh, clips, because I don't really watch other people's clips. So I suppose I just put up what I like to look at, you know. Yeah. I don't know. It's because it's quite interesting. I don't know if this is happening in the UK, but in Ireland, there there are a few uh, acts that purely became big from social media and then go out on the road. And yes, sometimes aren't great live, you know. But people no, that's exactly happened here with some people, and it is that thing exactly because they're not well. well, One of them's not really a comedian yet, you would say. And uh, uh, but is on Netflix. And then I looked at it and I was like, oh, my God, you're absolutely mediocre. Right. You know, I'd, I'd book you to MC my club, but not if I could get somebody else. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. No, really. Uh, uh, and it's amazing. But they have found a market. And I think the market is people who don't really go or watch comedy. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but definitely these people are selling big. Uh, there's a few acts like that. And uh, and to be honest, sometimes when I look at what they have online, I, I, I don't find that funny either. So I'm not sure why the people are, why those yeah. people are uh, attracted to that kind of. It seems to be quite regional. I don't know if that's the same in Ireland. I These could... ones are quite regional. One is like particularly West Coast Scotland. Uh, one is Northwest Liverpool. You know, they're very in a niche, a lot of them yes. the ones that do well. It could be they, that. That's how they, they find an audience where the people go, oh, they're like me. You yeah. Know, which is that I understand that they're seeing them and going, God, this person's just like me. So I like them, you know. Yes, and it's probably just regional and it, and it doesn't reach outside of a certain area. Yeah, it's, mm. it's very odd anyway. But the, all of these things we have to contend with when we're yes. being in the business yes. for so long. You know, there's just new... Well, that uh, is the thing. Yeah, isn't it? Of going Because I also, you know, I don't want to be the old fart going, well, well what's WhatsApp? No. Um, you know, but uh, it's, it's sometimes you do go, oh, it's, there's a lot of things to keep up with and you kind of have to go, which is the thing where you go, oh, I'm not doing that. I don't know what TikTok is. I'll, I'll right. say it out loud. Okay. Kill me now. I don't know what it is. It's something to do with people changing faces or something, but I don't get it. I don't know what it is. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have joined TikTok last week, but I still don't understand it. But uh, there you go. Um, so now you, you do... Uh, a show pretty much every year in in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Well, like, I, I think I'm not sure. I mean, yeah. I've been there the last two years, and you've been there, but yeah, yeah. Mm. And last year, I was I was going to have a break last year, and then I didn't. And then I really, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I think that's the bugger of it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I really liked my show. Um, because I always, uh, I sort of try to give myself a task of going like, you know, one year I thought, right, do more acting out and voices. You don't do enough of that. And Edinburgh is the perfect place to uh, have a run at that and practice and get that going. Mm-hmm. And then last year I thought, do less with the audience, do more, more harder jokes. And I really enjoyed it. Right. So then this year I was thinking, I've probably should have a year off but I went ah but then it gave you all that material for the year you know that I've really enjoyed doing yeah because then you've got the year to kind of go oh that bit I should do that that and things always have to change a bit to work in clubs yes but but, but then there's some bits which are quite long I did a bit about um about aging but about being me not wanting to judge young people but yet young people judge me Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit ranty and I'm sort of sending myself up a bit by how ridiculously bad tempered I get about things. Mm-hmm. And they have to be on board with me. And now I started doing it at clubs and go, oh, I'm really surprised. And young people really like it as well. Mm. And that's just one of those things you go, oh, I'm really pleased that that can work in a club. Yeah. You know, so that so that's the thing that makes me want to do it again, because then I'll go, well, then you could have an, another load of things that you love saying. Yeah, because that's sort of basically what it is, isn't it? Is you want to have things you want to you love saying. <laughs> yes, and and sort of. uh, a whole month of 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 do, working. I mean, the show will, I presume, it kind of slightly changes throughout the month. Yes. Uh, you know. Yeah, my mine totally does. I think the beginning is good, but I think um, by the end it's better. But that's mm. one way I go. Well, I I always keep it at ten pounds. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I, I, that sounds like people at the beginning aren't getting as good show, but I do know by the end, it things have evolved and changed and worked themselves out, you yeah. know. And I'm sort of lucky because I've built a, a crowd so people come and I, it's profitable for me because I do the stand, which is, you know, the fairest people in the world. So yeah. that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of hard to resist because that's, I've no, re- and I live here. <laughs> so oh, in yeah. Edinburgh now. So yeah. How so did that come past- about? Why did you move to Edinburgh? Yeah. Um, sort of partly family things that happened. Mm. My husband's from Scotland, oh, okay. part of which made him want to come back a bit. So, and also we were fed up with London. We were going to go to Brighton and then we went, oh, Brighton's annoying. Um, there's too many of the same type of people and it's not kind of not real. Um, and Edinburgh, then we moved quite quickly when we moved here, we then moved area and we live in Leith now, which right. I absolutely love. Cause that's, I suppose it's cause we're both more like Londoners. And so I was like, well, this to me has got everybody, you know, I'm not bored waiting at a bus stop because there's always some madness going on in Leith. <laughs> yeah. no, it's great. And it's very community. Like the lady next door has lived there 60 years and yeah. tells me everything about when there used to be docks and, you know, yeah. so it's, it's, I really like it. Yeah. And it's, and Edinburgh's beautiful. Oh God, you know? beautiful. So then I can walk 20 minutes from here. I'm, a, I'm in Edinburgh proper, you know? Oh no, it's such a beautiful city. Yeah. I love Edinburgh. Yeah. I think it has a double, same feel as Dublin that you can still, it's a city you can still live in the city, you know, and R- walk around and go for drinks and walk home. That's all I want. I want to be able to go for a drink and walk home. Yeah, yeah. But it's without still, living it, in a village. <laughs> it's outrageously beautiful. And a castle right in the yeah. middle. But also you can yeah. within um half an hour you can be right out on um Arthur's seat and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. yeah. And where we are, like I go running and within five minutes I'm running at the top of Portobello Beach, you know, gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Amazing. By the sea. So mm. you're you're, um, you're planning anyway on going, on going to the. Uh, are you coming? Yeah, are you coming back? I don't think I will do this year, uh, unless mm-hmm. I can get maybe a week. I'll see. Oh yeah, that can happen sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, even if it's the first week, uh, but mm. as as you say, it does for me. It pressurizes me to write new material, and then I have, and then I'm really happy for the next year because I've got new stuff to do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's it. Exactly. And no matter how hard you try to sort of discipline yourself, there's no there's there's nothing like the deadline to make you do it, is there? No. Yeah. yeah, No, I could tell myself, you don't have to do Edinburgh. You could still write an hour. Well, I won't. (laughs) No. Yeah. I needed I need a deadline. And yeah, I think we all do. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, it was brilliant chatting to you, Joe. Um, so nice so enjoyable <laughs> and hopefully I'll get over well I, I definitely will come over for a few days anyway so I'll see you over there um, yeah uh, yeah uh, lovely at, yeah at yeah have a beer or something yeah very absolutely. nice yeah yeah thanks cool. very much Joe alright thanks for having me okay right, bye 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 Right, well, as I said, yeah, I'm doing quiz a quiz every Saturday if you and check it out. I'll send I'll put the link up on my Facebook page or my Instagram or Twitter. Uh, 
and they're all basically similar. Joe Rooney comedian or Joe Rooney, just Joe Rooney. There's not that many Joe Rooneys around, is there? Check them out. Um, I hope you enjoyed that and stay safe and wash your hands and all that crack, whatever. I'm sure you're fed up with people saying that. Okay, see ya, bye. Listen, if you're always running to the bathroom and sometimes just can't make it, we need to talk. You're not alone. I was just like you until I spoke to an expert physician about Axonix therapy. It changed everything. It didn't just give me bladder control, it gave me my life back. Axonix therapy is not another drug. It's just a tiny device you barely have to think about. And it can give you real lasting relief. You can even try it out first to make sure it works for you. Just take the first step. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. It's time to get your life back. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonix therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com.